Hey guys, welcome back. This is Steph, and you are listening to Healing Through Pain. It's a show that dives into health and healing, and we discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today we're going to talk about stages of a crisis, stages of grief, and what you can anticipate in a season of hard. Let's get started. So the goal of Monday's episode was to give some words of encouragement for those going through a particularly big season right now, that there will be ebbs and flows as you navigate grief and as you walk forward into whatever this next season is asking of you. But today is going to be more on leaning on kind of the psychological underpinnings of what happens with grief and give you some calm reassurance that the vacillations of energy, um, the highs and the lows, they're very normal parts of what one would experience with grief. And I want to, again, give context context that when we talk about grief, grief shows up in the context of change and in the context of loss. And so grief isn't just relegated to really big life events where, um, you know, you think of someone passes away or there's an ending of a significant relationship. Grief shows up when when good things are happening in your life too. So let's say you get a, a new job and it's a job you're very much looking forward to, but you're leaving behind coworkers and you're leaving behind familiarity and you're leaving behind your normal. And so don't be surprised as we talk through stages of grief, if sometimes it shows up in really good seasons of your life, because while the good things are happening, there might also be some transitions and some loss and some change involved. And that's where grief is going to show up. Now, I especially want to normalize the grief uh, cycle and the cycles of a crisis for those who are going through big events, because categorically, when we think of grief, um, you know, it, it does show up in those particular instances where it is a big life event, where we're immobile by some big shift, some sudden departure from our life, some sudden rupture. And the first place to land is the cycle of a crisis. And this is from Norman Wright's book, Crisis and Trauma Counseling. It's a great book. It's written for those in ministry specifically. And it's the book that I walk with my um, juniors and seniors uh, right before they graduate and go into their youth ministry or into whatever the church position they want is. They're going to take this class so that they can be trauma-informed church leadership, which is such an important thing. We know many pastors take on a lot of kind of vicarious injury by being the landing place for really hard things and maybe not having a lot of tools or strategies to navigate it well. And so when we can equip people going into ministry with some crisis and trauma underpinnings, it can be very helpful. And one of the first things we talk about is the timing of someone's um, event is going to be important to consider when we think of how to intervene. So when we think of the cycle of a crisis, there's four stages that happen. The first stage is the impact stage. And if you can recall any event that has really kind of stunned you, impact is where you first hear it and you just kind of, you're just disoriented. You you have zero sense of what's going on around you because you've just kind of taken this sucker punch of information. And then the very next step is withdrawal and confusion. The impact stage can be minutes. It can be hours as a crisis is unfolding. Like if you think of, you know, someone's in an accident and we're not sure what's next. Impact is kind of that that waiting period. And then withdrawal and confusion is once we make sense of the fact that this is a really big event, it's a, it's a loss or whatever context it actually is for us. Withdrawal and confusion is the next st- uh, stage. Now, if the impact lasts a few moments, plan on withdrawal and confusion lasting hours, if not days possibly. Where impact gets interesting is when you're in a series of events where there's impact after impact after impact 
impact. And so I'm thinking of two specific contexts that many people might um, might bring some understanding to many people. Um, think of the coronavirus when we first went into lockdown in um, here in Michigan again. It was March uh, 13th of 2020, and um, the impact stage was like, okay, we're in lockdown. Okay, what does that mean? And then you brace for a couple days, and you're kind of disoriented, and then you get new information and new restrictions, and then you're disoriented, and then the impacts keep coming for for several weeks. Every time there's new information, new unfoldings, new restrictions, new understanding, impact is happening again and again. And so every time impact is happening, we kind of go through that withdrawal and confusion. The second place we see this show up often is when we're walking with any client through a season of divorce. Divorce categorically has many different stages to it. So you have the impact of first deciding to separate. You have the impact of someone moving out. You have the impact stage of someone hiring a lawyer. You have the impact stage of, you know, whether it's custody agreements or whether it's division of property. And it's impact again and again and again. And then after each impact stage, there's that withdrawal and confusion stage. And there's many more contexts where that impact, um, you know, repeated cycle shows up again and again. But, you know, COVID was one of those examples where many of us experience that. The impact stage and the withdrawal confusion of divorce is something that I think many people would understand. And so I reference back to, you know, one of the earlier episodes where we we walk with clients during a divorce and we say, please do not make any decisions that are non-essential. Don't make big financial decisions. Don't make big um, geographic decisions because the impact withdrawal stages are going to keep coming again and again and again. And you're going to experience disorientation. You're going to have depleted resources. And that is just what happens in the cycle of a crisis. So we have impact, we have withdrawal and confusion. This third stage is where we kind of understand the context and that's where the adjustment's going to come in. Now, when I talk about the grief cycle in a minute here, it's going to be really, really evident during the adjustment stage. It shows up at each point. It shows up at impact. It shows up in withdrawal and confusion. And it's going to show up in the last stage as well. But adjustment is going to be one of the longer pieces of the cycle of a crisis because there's a, a, a disorientation that's eventually going to lead to a reorientation of the world. And so to get from you know the disorganized to the reorganized, it's quite the process. So impact, withdrawal and confusion, then there's adjustment, and then the final stage is reconstruction. And reconstruction is now where you've kind of sorted through what does this all mean, and you're starting to relay a new foundation, or you're starting to fill in the gaps of whatever foundation has been um, kind of pulled out from under you, and you start to build whatever the new context is. So that's the stage, um, stage kind of unfolding of what one would experience at a crisis. And then we talk through the five stages of grief. Now, to call them stages might actually be a little bit of a, maybe an inappropriate word choice just because it's, and even when we say the cycle of grief, it's not really accurate because there's such a, a whiplash vacillation at some points where you can be spiraling through this cycle again and again at rapid pace, kind of at a micro level and at a macro level. And you're just kind of in the throes of an all out emotional disequilibrium. It, 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 it can just, it can wreak havoc on you. And that's because there's so many pieces included 
included in the five stages of grief. And so the first stage is denial, which makes a lot of sense when you think of one of the first ways our bodies respond to a crisis is to numb us out. It goes into withdrawal and confusion. Denial very much fits with that understanding. So the cycle of a crisis withdrawal and the five stages of grief with denial, it, it makes a lot of sense. Denial can show up all along the way as you're going through the adjustment period as well. Then the next piece, uh, the next two pieces we have is that anger and depression. And understand that anger is going to be just this potentially big expenditure of energy, and it's going to be often kind of counterbalanced with the depression, that kind of flat affect, the withdrawal, the confusion again, this being stunned, not knowing how to move, being immobilized. That would be very common. I don't want to over-explain the depression, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on the anger because it feels like, and I've mentioned this in a past episode, it feels like anger is one of those things that gets such a bad rap or it gets outright suppressed in some people's stories. And then they say things like, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's okay, I'm not angry. And they don't acknowledge that anger is actually part of the cycle. Um, I appreciate that AA has the acronym FINE. And if you say like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. What they say it means is freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And I find that to be quite interesting. And in many cases, quite accurate. And one of the things I want to, especially having any platform, whether I'm talking with students or whether I'm talking with clients or whether I'm talking here, we have to normalize anger. Anger is a physiological response. It's where chemicals in your gut are meeting chemicals in your brain and it's a chemical reaction going on in your body and it's building up energy and to deny its existence makes zero sense. It's there. And when there's a buildup of something going on in our bodies, we have to do something with it. That's where I think a lot of the discomfort comes from. This um, fear of, okay, anger shows up, now what do I do with it? Well, you're responsible for doing something productive with it. You're responsible for letting it process and not not taking it and throwing it out at everyone else and making it everyone else's problem. But it's okay to be angry because the anger is going to show up with or without your consent. And so understand anger is part of grief, questioning why, questioning what do I do now, questioning how could this happen. The anger is going to show up and denying its existence does nobody any favors, but you do have to have safe places to vent. You have to have safe places to ask exploratory questions. That's why I so much appreciate being able to be a therapist and having this these four walls where I'm sitting across from a client and they can be so vitriolic and, and unleash in the room. And it's okay because it's a safe contained place and it's not something where I'm going to judge them for it. I'm going to say, of course there's anger. Why wouldn't there be anger? This is so overwhelming and this is so difficult. I understand the anger. And sometimes they're terrified by their own anger because they haven't been given permission to explore it before. And so it's really interesting to try to give them calm reassurance of it's a chemical reaction. Let's figure out ways to channel it well, but it is going to show up. The fourth piece is bargaining. Bargaining is very part and parcel of our human nature, um, where we try to, you know, well, if, if if I just did this, maybe we could undo some of the damage, or if I just reached out to this person, maybe they could um, help us out, or if, if we could just go back in time. And, and sometimes bargaining comes from a rational side or, or the problem-solving part of our brain, and sometimes it comes from that irrational place, or it comes from a really emotional reaction. But if 
you're saying things that are over the top unrealistic or or you're saying things that are really emotional or you're saying things that are illogical, you're normal. That's part of this process. Bargaining and pleading and begging, that's part of what shows up when grief happens because think of that adjustment period. You, you're, you're trying to establish a new normal. You're trying to understand the world around you. You're trying to become reoriented. Asking questions is a part of that. The last piece in the five stages of um, grief is acceptance. And keep in mind, acceptance isn't a place where once you arrived, you're good to go. You could be in denial and then accept it. And then having anger and depression and denial and depression. And then you can accept it again. And then you can be angry again. And then you can accept it. And over time, the acceptance will get larger. It'll become bigger. And that's where that cycle of a crisis, that reconstruction phase really starts to show up when you've accepted things and you're starting to build a life around this new understanding that there's this change that's happened and we can't deny that this change has happened. Now, one of the pieces of research that added on to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, there was a gentleman who added a sixth stage and the sixth stage is called meaning making. And so while acceptance is a good thing and, and we hope as people grieve, that they arrive there. And think back to Monday's episode where I talked about my supervisor helping the client who after eight years of her husband had already passed and she's been in grief, she's finally willing to kind of navigate the grief piece of it um, eight years later. So she's arrived at acceptance. Now we want to walk with clients into meaning making and saying, what do you think this is all about? Is there a redemptive piece here? Is there something that um, something that somehow has been redemptive in this story? Now, the intent intention isn't silver lining. The intention is to empower a client to walk forward into whatever the next chapter is and understand that they can live life in this new context and still have meaning and still have purpose and not stay immobilized in whatever the loss was. Now, this is not something I would ever walk with a client who's just in a new loss. They're at an impact stage or withdrawal confusion, and I'm trying to silver line it for them and say, hey, well, look on the bright side, at least this or at least that. That, that would never be appropriate. I would not walk with someone that way. I would never encourage us to speak to someone in grief that way. But one of one of the long-term goals of reconstruction is can we arrive at understanding and making meaning out of whatever this tough thing was? And in most people's stories, yes, there is meaning making. But we're talking, you know, on the short end months, but probably more realistically years down the road, it starts to make sense. There's going to be a series of events that unfold that are going to be possibly restorative we're not going to use the word better by any means, but there it's going to be different and tolerable. And because that's true, we will understand both realities couldn't be true. We couldn't have both not experienced the loss and had this new chapter in our story. And so we have to understand that for some reason, things unfolded in a particular way. And can we find meaning and purpose and, and accept that whatever the series of events was, it was the path that our life was intending to take. So as we wrap up here, if you are in a season of grief, I am wanting to give calm reassurance that, like we said Monday, you can draw some parameters around it. Understand that there are various cycles going on here. There are various emotions. There are various stages that will be unfolding, and you're not doing it wrong. You're not supposed to move more quickly than you're able to. You're not supposed to put on a performance or put on a show. You're supposed to feel your feelings and understand that when big stuff happens, it's immobilizing and it takes 
takes time for us to reorient to whatever this new development is in our lives. And also, hopefully, for those listening who might not be in grief, but might be working tangentially with someone who is in grief, understand that they're going to go through these vacillations too, and patience and grace and understanding are going to be things that help them in this particular season, not asking them to rush it, not asking them to move at your pace or my pace, but let them move at their own pace, understanding that as time and separation from an event take place, there tends to be shifts that happen organically, and and give that time to unfold. As we wrap up today, thank you so much for spending time with me. If you know someone going through a hard time and you think they might benefit from this, feel free to share it with them. Anytime you're willing to share, like, or follow, it is much appreciated. As always, you can leave a review as well, and I hope you guys have a good rest of your week.